never promised that life would be easy, but when we do it together, it becomes much easier. I genuinely believe that we have to be intentional about creating a joyful life. I believe in happy parenting, healthy marriages, long-lasting friendships, and making perfect memories in imperfect homes. But those things require deep, holy heart work. I am passionate when it comes to sharing vulnerably about the things that people are not always comfortable discussing, and I am passionate about sharing practical wisdom that has helped me to help you navigate through life less stressfully and more purposefully. On the Living Easy Podcast, you'll hear honest insight with a biblical foundation to help you become best friends with your spouse again, to love your motherhood so much that you don't need wine or even coffee to get through the day and to find hope in the very real trials and pain that we face moment to moment. I want to challenge you every Monday to live life with purpose, to choose joy and to honor God with all that you do. Are you ready to fight hard for that sweet, abundant life? If so, I would love to do it together. So grab a cup of coffee and join me every Monday. I'm Lindsay Maestas, and this is the Living Easy Podcast. David Erdman is the author of The Ten Commandments of Marriage, Secrets of a Divorce Lawyer. I really loved this conversation. As most of you know, I spend a lot of time asking people questions, not only on the podcast, but just in my day-to-day life. And most of my favorite responses and conversations come from the ones that I have with couples who've been married 20 plus years longer than me because they have very honest insight and great perspective. David has been married for over 38 years and he and I talk about his experience today as a divorce lawyer and how he has used his career as an opportunity to share God's truth and love to the couples who come to him seeking a divorce. He also talks about the number one thing to look out for before getting married and one of the number one causes of divorce, and it isn't always infidelity and finances, though those do play a part. He also shares the difference between a man and a woman when it comes to infidelity, helpful ways to revive a breaking or broken marriage, and why in-laws have one of the greatest impacts on a relationship. I am gleaning his wisdom today. He gives very practical insight into relationship and why divorce is not always the easy way out or the experience that you think it might be. So let's jump in to today's conversation. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast. This is Lindsay, and today I am here with David Erdman. He is the author of The Ten Commandments of Marriage, and today we are going to be talking specifically about divorce. So David, I would love to hear a little bit of your story. How did you get into this topic with this book and how, what has your experience been um, as a divorce lawyer and how did you get to that point? Well, Lindsay, first, thank you for allowing me to meet with you today and with your audience. Thanks for Um, coming. I am privileged to be the child of happily married parents, happily married grandparents, and I myself have been happily married for 38 years oh, to my first and only wife. Love so I'm, I make it clear to my clients, even though I am a divorced lawyer, that I am not in the business of breaking up marriages. Mm-hmm. In fact, if they want, if, if the person who comes to see me is the person in the marriage who wants the marriage to survive, I want to give them every bit of help I can give them. And that's been my career long experience. 
but it has been a very long career because I have in my many years of practicing law met with more than 5,000 people who were at some stage of considering divorce. Now, perhaps a third of them did not pursue it. Maybe I had something to do with that. I don't know. I give them the credit. Um, And maybe another third hired some other lawyer. That's okay. (laughs) That's okay. And, and the other third, I probably had to work through to a settlement with them. Um, So having met so many people in the distress of, as I say, considering a divorce, not all of them go through with it. um, I wanted to make sure that in my book, The Ten Commandments of Marriage, which I subtitled Secrets of a Divorce Lawyer, um, I wanted to make sure that people who wanted to learn how to stay out of the lawyer's office would consider reading my book because I want their marriages to work. I Mm -hmm. I think marriage is wonderful. Uh, A great marriage is the, is the, is the core of the happiness of, of our lives. And so they should not be casual about losing a marriage. Uh, And, and, Sometimes it takes, well, here's what happens. Sometimes a friend of theirs or a relative, a mother tells them, you need to go see a divorce lawyer because you've been treated badly and, and you need to consider a divorce. And I'm, I'm not the boss. The client is the boss. However, I give them a perspective that's different from the one they got at home. And the most important perspective is, that it's their life, it's their marriage. No one else has to live with the consequences of their decisions more than they do. And of course, they need to consider their children as well. I wanted to share the 10 commandments of marriage. And I do believe that my book has already helped people because I've received notes about what I've written. I'm aware of a Sunday school class that's teaching my book as a- Oh, as wow. Uh, bear in mind, there are 10 other commandments yeah. <laughs> and mine are not, mine are not uh, wrought by God, but, but, and I don't imagine myself to be in any role that, but um, if they want practical advice on how to work on their marriage or, or make it better from the beginning, which is really a great key, the 10 commandments of marriage, secrets of a divorce lawyer are going to give them some, some good ideas. Wow. Well, I love that. And I love that you preface that with the truth that this isn't your ultimate goal, that as a divorce lawyer, you are still trying and doing the work to encourage others to work through. Um, It reminds me of, you know, people, mothers who are new mothers and they're in need and they go to places like CareNet where they give them all of the options and make sure that they have a different insight into something before making a decision that will change their lives. And I want to talk a little bit about that because as you mentioned, I think there's this really casual perception that people have of marriage in our day and age. I see every single day, I see comments on videos, TikToks and reels where 
the immediate response is, oh, your husband is doing that. Leave him. You'll be happier. Oh, your wife is doing that. Oh, it's not worth it. Go find someone else. And the casual tone of that is so devastating to me. And especially as somebody, this is my heart and my passion. What I do is talk about marriage and um, working toward a godly biblical marriage to be a, a witness of what God's love is and Christ's love for the church. But it's so nonchalant in, in conversation. And I feel like the more people see that, the more they have this, this very un, I don't know how to say unserious, unserious perspective that of what marriage actually is and what a covenant before God actually is. And so I'd love to hear from you for the people maybe who do see marriage or divorce, I'm sorry, as the easy way out, or they make those comments, just leave them. As you view marriage and as you look into these divorces, what has your experience been in people who do ultimately make that decision? Do you think that it actually is the easy way out? Well, no, I don't. There's a final chapter in my book that talks about, I entitle it, what would your divorce look like? Mm. And that is a way of, of signaling to people what they're going to experience if they go through a divorce. The, the most obvious point is if they have children, probably for the rest of their lives, spend only half as time with those children as they spent as parents and as a family. That's a, and sometimes it takes three marriages for people to get this point across, unless maybe they'd read my book and believe it from somebody else's experience. And that is, I use an analogy of these puzzles, wooden puzzles that only fit together one way. And here's the way I view it. And, and, and I think experience bears this out. Two people come together. They're like this. Not mad at each other, but they're two individual holes. As they are married to each other, they begin to intertwine. They divide up their chores. They understand each other's signals. They mold themselves to a certain extent to be a fit for that person. Now, there'll always be something sticking out that doesn't quite fit. That's what brings people into my office. Maybe a couple of things. But what they don't understand in a first marriage is that they themselves have been somewhat shaped. So here's an unusual shape. The next person they meet is going to have a different shape. And they're going to learn that they left behind the problems they thought they were getting rid of with their previous spouse, but, but all, I'll call it baggage, all the baggage that they themselves brought to the first marriage is going to show up in the second marriage. Yeah. And, and they'll have a new set of problems from the other person. And sometimes it takes three marriages for people to understand that every single time there's a problem, whether it's infidelity, whether it's alcohol, whatever it is, that they're the carrier, so to speak, of that problem to the marriage. And they may never find a fit that fits as well as the first one, but they don't realize it till they've lost the first one. I used to take some joy, I really do still, in couples that I personally know or that I read about in some movie star magazine, couples who get back together, having been divorced and get back together, they discovered that the world at large was not as wonderful 
as the person that they now need to compromise a little more with to make it work. Yeah. I love that insight. Thank you for sharing that. I think that this reminds me a lot of something my mom has said. So my parents were divorced when I was four. My mom always said the same thing that you get divorced and you just realize you have different problems with a new person. And there sometimes, like you said, there's a lot of things that my parents have worked through in which they still find that they're carrying their own sin, their own struggle, their own um, temptations into the new relationship. And I think a lot of people may assume that just because say your spouse now struggles with lust or pornography, that even if it looks a little bit different, um, the next sin, the next struggle, that it's not going to hurt less or affect the marriage less, that essentially it's something that ultimately really is, could damage the marriage even further. And so working through that and watering the grass that's right in front of you versus always attempting to shift um, and change the other person, but instead of learning compromise and communication can be so helpful and effective. So I would love to ask you, David, what are some of the biggest mistakes that couples make when entering into marriage that might follow them throughout their relationships? Well, you've started exactly where it needs to start. Oh, perfect. And as, as, as much as I'm promoting my book, even if they don't buy my book, even if they never see my book, they need to understand that if they start off and can start off equal and can sustain equality, then all of their communications and all of their issues will be resolvable because they view each other as equals. If one is ascendant and views herself or himself as ascendant, the other views themselves as an inferior position, that's hard to overcome. And, and I give a couple of examples. The number one, number one um, reducer of inequality in marriages is a premarital agreement because wealthy people get premarital agreements because they're wealthy, but they are setting up a defense against having an equal marriage because they are afraid somebody's going to take their money. And I understand that it's in, everybody has a right to protect that which is theirs. But where they make the mistake and where lawyers help them make a mistake is by making them say, well, everything that you earn, even after you get married, should still be yours. And everything your spouse earns can still be their spouse's. Well, that's not fair. It's not fair because they're not going to make equal amounts of money all the way through life. There are all sorts of circumstances that can change people's ability to earn. So um, premarital agreement, I don't know how it is in other states, but in North Carolina, where I practice law, it's almost a 100% predictor of divorce. We're planning the divorce before they even get married. We have and, always said that same thing. It's so I'm like, wait, but aren't you setting yourself up for failure? You're planning, you're, you're legitimately planning a divorce that in the case of this happening, which like you said, I, I see that as it is hard because if, if you're feeling like you, you need to protect yourself, is that some concern for the person that you're marrying that you feel that you need to protect yourself from them? Would you say that that is concern within itself? Lindsay, I have, I have an answer to that. And my answer has been adopted by various lawyers that I've negotiated premarital agreements with over the years. And that is I, invented 
the concept of what I call milestones. We all know what a milestone is on a road, but my milestones are like five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And milestones that say, okay, if we start off with a premarital agreement that will say there'll be no alimony and what's his is his, what's hers is hers. Let's put a sunset on that at five or 10 years out. Because if you're still together, still happily living together, why should that still be hanging over your marriage? Mm. At some point, as a spouse, we've proved ourselves and we shouldn't be held to the early suspicion standard of when we just got married for their money, let's say. And, and so I believe strongly in putting milestones in. And the milestones I want to see or at some point, normal alimony laws apply. You know, you can think, well, we're young. Alimony is a concern. Well, I've been on the phone today with a 72-year-old woman who's 80-year-old. I'm not mentioning names, so I can tell you the story. An 80-year-old husband with lots of money has decided he's interested in somebody else. And he's basically shooed her out. And she doesn't really have a strong legal leg to stand on. She's not protected. And so there is a place for alimony for people who she's retired. Yeah, right. She needs, she needs his financial support. And so, but that's number one. Let me mention one other way that inequalities come around. And that is, I call it sort of a master servant experience. And I think you'll be able to imagine this. Let me use myself as an example. I'm not an example because I didn't get married until I was out of law school and already practicing law and had been reasonably successful. But so many of my classmates in law school were married to somebody who was practically their butler and valet for three years while the law student was going to get a law degree, become a lawyer, and it was going to be great for both of them. What happened was the law student became, be they male or female, became the master of the house, and they expected somebody else to go get the gas for the car, get the car mechanic work done, pick up the lot dry cleaning at the laundry. They expected somebody else to do that for them. And inequality had been created unintentionally, and it's very, very hard to get it back uh, when, when that has, so how do we get it back? Well, you talk about it, you recognize it, I, I talk about it a lot in this book because I want people to understand how to avoid these problems. In fact, my target audience is probably people who aren't married, who are thinking about getting married. They're the ones I can give the most help to keep them from creating a structural inequality in their marriage. Hey guys, I wanted to take a second to tell you about something that I truly believe can change your life for the better and a project that is near and dear to my heart. So in the past two years, the world really has turned upside down. But one silver lining that I've seen in so many people around me is that this time of chaos also brought a sense of clarity about who we want to be and what we want to do with our lives. Working from home became a norm that so many people appreciated as they spent more time with their families than ever before, found passion projects that they loved and created things that they had wanted to do for years. I know that now more than ever before, 
we are eager to live freely, aren't we? Away from the nine to five constrictive lifestyle and to instead enjoy the beauty that life truly has to offer. We want to work to live, not live to work. And Jesse and I realized the exact same thing, so much so that we actually changed everything. We packed up our home and moved across the country away from the only home we had ever known for over 30 years. And why did we do it? For a real quality of life. We were done with the hustle culture that had consumed us for so long and we wanted to slow down, but we knew that nobody would do it for us. So we had to do it for ourselves. So I dug into social media and all that I had learned over the years about serving my audience well, while also having the ability to make a real profit. Fast forward to one year after launching my first course, and because of my knowledge of social media and online courses, Jesse was able to quit his very demanding job that caused a strain on our family while I replaced his full-time salary. He now stays home with me and the boys while I work for a few days a week in just a couple of hours a day. I've also been able to hire a full team of employees in just one year. So let me back up a little bit to where it all started. Nearly seven years ago, I started a blog from my couch holding a newborn and covered in spit up. It was not glamorous, but I wanted to talk about the things that I loved. The only problem was that no matter how active I was on social media, likes and follows didn't pay the bills. So here's where things changed. I began following a girl on Instagram who created online courses. She made $15,000 in one night during her first launch and I was fascinated by her success. Now, I'll be honest, I definitely didn't think that that could happen to me, and I really, really doubted my ability, so much so that it took me three years to create The Wife Project. But I knew at one point, if I didn't at least try, I would never succeed. So after much time, energy, and some tears, I launched my first course. And the next morning, I burst into tears when I saw that I had tripled in one night what my inspiration, that girl, had profited for her own launch. And in 2020, less than one year after creating my course, I replaced Jesse's salary. I've also had the ability to create multiple streams of income by all of the knowledge that I have in Pinterest and Instagram and TikTok and all of those avenues that have built multiple streams for us to where we don't have to worry where the money is coming from anymore. I'm here to tell you that I am not special by any means. And if I can do this, anyone can do it. I also wanna tell you that it definitely is not too late for you to start, especially with Reels and TikTok changing the game. There has never been a time where you could get your business or your brand or your face in front of millions of people within hours, but now we can't. And you have something we're sharing and teaching, even if you don't feel like an expert. So what's the point, Lindsay? I have created two academies that are jam-packed with secrets, tips, and tricks that I've learned over the past six years. There's no gatekeeping here. I am showing you every detail of what I've done to create a multiple six-figure income that gave us an entirely new life. Who doesn't want more time to spend with their families, to work while vacationing on the beach, and to go to brunch whenever they please? It is possible. So on April 4th, I am launching the Social Media Marketing Academy and the Online Course Creation Academy. In the Social Media Marketing Academy, becoming a confident and profitable creator, 
I am teaching everything from Pinterest to blogging to Instagram Reels and TikTok to SEO to passive income streams and collaborating with brands. You'll have the ins and outs of my secrets along with tons of bonuses and worksheets that help you to put what you learn into action right away. This includes goal setting worksheets with detailed instruction, time batching plans to keep you from procrastinating, 30 Instagram stories ideas to use each month, my top business book recommendations, customizable branding templates, and customizable media kits, over 15 websites that will get you in the door with brand collaborations immediately, and so much more. And in my second course, the Online Course Creation Academy, I will teach you how to create and successfully launch a course in less than 30 days. So if you are a teacher, a hairstylist, a software specialist, a musician, a mama who makes cute lunches or knows healthy recipes, a Christian who loves teaching God's word, or somebody who is passionate about anything that they've been doing for a few years, you should be making at least $10,000 a month by teaching about what you love. You are good at something that someone else is not good at, and they want to learn from you. And even if you don't feel like they do, or if you feel like you're not an expert, you have to know that online course industry is a $100 billion industry that is waiting for you to jump in. In the Online Course Creation Academy, I will teach you step-by-step how to find your niche, your target market, how to write your course, how to determine your purpose and price out your course. I'll teach you how to revenue plan and record and edit that course and so much more. This comes with over 25 pages of worksheets that help you to put into action exactly what you're learning. And guess what? Your course will be written and ready to launch by the time you have finished my academy. So what are you waiting for? As always, nothing changes if nothing changes. So I want you to show up and choose to move forward with that dream or that passion that you've always had because nobody else will do it for you. So click the link in my show notes to sign up for the waitlist or visit my website to learn more. And don't forget the Academy's launch on April 4th and the launch pricing only lasts for two weeks. So don't miss it. I am also offering a bundle of both courses at a very low price. So don't miss out. If you want to learn how to create and launch a course and how to create passive income streams through social media and market well, this bundle is for you. So check it out, learn all about it. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. Now let's get back to our episode. So you have been married over 30 years, you said. That uh, 38 is 38 years. 38. That is a massive accomplishment in our world, especially. Um, and I I always pick the brains of anyone I talk to. And I would ask you if you could give two things for our audience. If you could give one, the best thing or the best piece of advice you've ever received or given about marriage and the hardest lesson you had to learn, what would those two things be? Well, the first one I'll certainly answer, and that is, um, uh, and I speak about it in the book. I, I believe that married people should conscious, and, and, and my wife and I talked about this when I thought of it early in our marriage, we should have a marriage-centered life. Mm-hmm. A lot of couples don't have a center at all. They both have their careers. Or some couples make their children the center of their marriage. That's not the right way to stay married. 
the right way to stay married is to let the children know that the parents are a block solid team and the kids are in the first orbit around. So I would, I champion a marriage centered life. And in fact, that's one of the commandments is thou shalt live a marriage centered life. One of my 10 commandments of marriage. Uh, Now the hardest lesson, every little slight that occurs, I just got to let it move on. Let it, let it roll off my back. Mm -hmm. Um, Generally doing great. And by the way, I've been privileged. My wife and I have generally done phenomenally, but even in the marriages of people I encounter in this office, sometimes they say, well, here's some good things about my spouse, but these are the two things that really bother me. And if they're not events such as infidelity that won't stop, which would be fatal to a marriage, then I want them to turn the other cheek 70 times seven. And I've done that 70 times seven, maybe times 70 more. Uh, But the result is I'm still smiling. Uh, My wife was smiling when I kissed her goodbye this morning and uh, told her I love her, as I always do. And we have an equal marriage. I have a a woman, a wife who has a career just as you do. I've heard it said that a great marriage is made up of two great forgivers. Would you agree? That's a nice way of putting it. I need that in my next book. (laughs) Yeah, sure. You can use it. It's not mine. (laughs) I heard it somewhere. Um, I have heard that finances and adultery are two of the main causes of a divorce. What would you say are maybe some of those factors that people don't always consider that can cause divorce? Maybe they're not the big issues like money or uh, infidelity, but they're the small things that seep their way into the relationship. What would you say are some of the biggest factors or the smallest factors that add up and can cause divorce? Well, I will answer that, but let me first affirm what you said. What you said was that finances are an issue in marriages. Mm -hmm. Uh, Clearly, who gets to spend the money is a control feature. And control suggests an inequality. When two people decide together how they're going to spend their money, then they're on a plane that's going to work. Infidelity, of course, is devastating, devastating to a marriage. Although I will say, by the way, I don't draw a lot of distinctions between men and women. We're all human. But I'm going to draw one. And I've got a couple others that also apply. And then I'll get to your your, your question. Most women, it turns out, will forgive one extramarital affair if it stops and it's forgotten and goes away. Men are not as forgiving. It's very hard for men to overcome. When I see a man who I know from having met with him, is overcoming that and and getting back with his wife, uh, that's an extra amount of respect for me because I know how unusual that is. So I don't recommend men having an affair, but most women, when they come in this office, if they're saying their mom told them to get a divorce, I say, well, maybe, maybe not, but that's for you to decide. Now, now, what are some of the other problems? Well, you got a, a group of people in this country, in this world, who are more married to their parents than they are to their spouse their their mother or father you know we hear about the uh, is it the helicopter parents who are or, or, or some sort of parent who's always coaching their kid in college even 
calling them three times a day. I know people like this and they're probably doing it during the marriage. And so they, 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 they don't, as the Bible says something about the husband and wife are supposed to cleave to each other. Uh, and I think, or maybe it's cleave from. No, cleave, cleave to one another and leave their father and mother. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Some people can't do that. Strangely. Now, the parents may have strings that are financial, but that's not a good marriage for the kid. And I'm, I'm talking about an adult kid. Sure. And in fact, it's a very bad predictor because when there's a dispute between the husband and wife, and one of them has to go ask their parent what to do, they're going to do what the parent told them to do, typically. So that's one that sneaks up on people um, if they yeah. don't have their eyes open. That is a, I, I hear that a lot in the ministry that I do. A lot of the concern um, tends to be more so on the male side, having a harder time leaving their mother and the mother-in-law, you know, that issue. But I do, I, obviously I speak to women, so I'm going to hear more of that side as well. But I know that that relationship when I, I think there's a balance too in, you know, we have this villainized mindset of mother-in-laws and, and that relationship. And I think from my experience, it can be very sweet. And I think in this season of my life, I'm already starting to prepare my heart for the future in that. And knowing I have two little boys knowing I'm going to have to let them go, but not only that, I'm going to encourage them to go and to separate and to move or do what their wife needs because that relationship I've been very lucky that my husband, Jesse has a wonderful relationship with his mom, but his relationship with me has always been number one. And I'm always protected. I'm always defended. And I know that not a lot of people experience that, but I think in that I'm able to have a very healthy relationship with his parents because the priorities are there and it's aligned. Um, but I then have to learn from that and know that there will be a season where it's time to let my boys go. And I'm preparing my heart to protect their marriage because the last thing I would ever want is to be the cause of my child's divorce. And I think that there is a level of letting go in that. I, by the way, I talk about in-laws in, as an issue in, in the Ten Commandments of Marriage. Um, and, and I lay down a line. Yeah. They don't have to, they, nobody has to agree with me, but it's been my experience as a lawyer any person who has what I call in-law problems when they themselves are over 30 years of age, they're in the wrong. Mm. I understand if people get married in their twenties or their teens, then their parents are going to loom large in the picture on both sides, probably. But by the time a couple has reached 30, uh, a mother-in-law joke from anybody is just a joke because they should be, on their own completely and what you said is exactly right including what you're going to be as a mother-in-law one day yes. god willing yes god willing one day um well thank you for sharing that i want to go back really quickly to what you said it was just it stuck out to me about the affair and about a husband being the one to forgive in your opinion and experience do you feel that that forgiveness from the woman could be more I guess more so because of maybe financial instability and feeling not maybe stuck within the relationship, but feeling as if that is their, their only choice because they've been a stay at home mom for so long that they're willing to forgive. Or do you find that it's actually more of a heart 
response as a woman versus as a man? Very important to acknowledge that finances would figure in somebody's strategic decision as to how to react to any challenge in a marriage. But it seems to be a hard thing. It seems to be that, that by the way, there are promiscuous husbands of multiple affairs and and at some point wives say, I will not put up with it anymore. And I don't, I can't argue with them. Although I also don't say, oh, now you need to get a divorce. That's always has to be their decision. Always. I will help them in the direction they wish to go. But, but I gather, and they're probably pastors, ministers who could affirm this, that a marriage that has been seared and torn asunder, as they would say, by, a, by an affair that does stop and is regretted and forgiveness is asked and forgiveness is given uh, and that, that it might be, it might stick for life. It may hold for life. I'll tell you this though, in small towns, the best way to get rid of a, affair that's been going on for a while and sometimes they do go on for a while is to move to a different town to show that the couple is together enough that they're going to leave this third party completely now maybe that's asking too much of people but that's what people do in small towns if they really want to send the signal that they're through with their extra their lover obviously they can communicate with them by email, I got that, Facebook, anything else. But but when they physically move together, they're sending a message to their family, maybe to their kids, the neighbors, the other person, that we're together. We're still pursuing got healing. We've got a lot of work to do to make yeah. that marriage work. Yeah. And, and by the way, my generalization won't hold true in all cases, but it but it holds it, it, it there's enough disparity in that regard, between the two genders that I, that I comment on it. Sure. No, it's very interesting. I'm, I'm intrigued. I always just like to learn more about that because I've never heard that before, but I've seen it. I have seen that in our experience in relationships. Um, so it is, it's just very interesting. So I, I could just talk for hours, but I will ask this last question. What ways do you suggest reviving what currently feels like a broken marriage? If someone is just in the throes of it and they feel like divorce is the only option, what would your piece of advice be for them? Well, I would ask them to record, by the way, I, I call it, my fourth commandment is thou shalt appreciate your spouse. Mm. And, and if they can, maybe within my office, um, or maybe in some marriage counselor's office, obviously, or the minister's office, uh, reflect on what it was that attracted them to that person in the first place. I mean, we almost have to go back to first principles. Rather than complaining about all the bad things that have been happening for whether it's two weeks, two months, two years, or more, why did you marry that person in the first place? And, and what have you and that person shared together, including children. And if there are children, they've got to think about that, even if the children are grown, because, you know, uh, Lindsay, I'm not gonna 
ask you about your circumstance beyond whatever you've told me, but, but it's been my observation and maybe again, I won't, I won't, I won't tell you okay. much. It's I'm an open my, book. <laughs> it's been my observation that most children of any age from a broken marriage never completely understand why their parents couldn't stay together. Yeah, I would agree to that. They, 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 maybe they come to accept it. Maybe they come to accept it well, particularly if both parents remarry and everybody's apparently happy. But, but since, since I am, along with my siblings, the only people in the world who are my two parents put together in one, if they had been divorced, I wouldn't be able to understand why these two people couldn't work it out. There's that nice song from the show, Little Orphan Annie, that says maybe she wants to know where her parents are and maybe they're nice people. And the only mistake she says they ever made was giving up me, she says. And I just think that way about, and I, I would, I've thought about writing a book about the experiences of children of divorce, because as you do know, the children of divorce, when they themselves are adults, are more prone to get divorced because they don't have a parent who can say, well, you shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. Their parent has lost that credibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That it's, it is a very, I was actually just speaking on another conversation with somebody about this and how, <clears throat> excuse me, how, um, I felt the need as soon as I got engaged to defend my decision. And it was very interesting because I had family calling and congratulating and I'm like, thanks so much. And by the way, I don't believe in divorce and it, this is not going to happen to me. And it, everyone's like, okay, cool. Like, thanks for letting me know. But it was so interesting that that was my first reaction and response was I need to let you know that this is not the way I want my story to be. Um, and I had seen a lot of broken relationships around me, not only my parents. And I think that was why I felt that way. And essentially maybe why I'm in the ministry I am and fight so hard for relationships, because I know that it, it sometimes can feel like the option it's the option. I've watched it happen. I've watched the healing happen. No, it has not been easy, but I, it can be an option, but then I really think through, and, and I've had these conversations with many women. Um, I think through what it actually looked like and the brokenness and the devastation to our family and how it never actually goes away. And I always tell this to people, you think that by getting a divorce, you're moving away from that person and starting a new life. If you have children, that is absolutely not the case. My parents still have to be in the same vicinity in our, for our weddings, graduations, children's birthday, their grandchildren's birthday parties. It never ends and it never goes away. And the awkwardness can get more awkward and uncomfortable. And when another spouse enters the picture, the mess just grows. And I, I've seen that all. And I feel like that for me, you know, in moments when it feels easier to say, Oh, I'm leaving. You know, we've had those really bad fights. Thankfully few of them. Um, my husband is a peacekeeper 100% and I'm thankful for that. <laughs> yes. But in those moments, I, I love that you said the last chapter of your book is what does your divorce look like? Or in those words, but to really establish and think about what is this process actually going to be? It's not as clean 
clean cut and, and smooth as I think that it might be, it's actually extremely messy and painful. Um, so I really appreciate what you do, David. I think that I would love to read the book about the children who suffer from parents who have been divorced and kind of what that looks like for them. I haven't written that one yet, but I would like, because I think it will help people. I would just simply like them to know the title of my book, the 10 commandments of marriage secrets of a divorce lawyer. And of course, Amazon and the online groups have it. And, uh, and it'll help somebody, particularly if they're thinking about signing a premarital agreement, they'll get some ideas Mm -hmm. that might really help them. I love that. I would love to hear in closing, um, one thing that you hope that someone takes away from the 10 commandments of marriage and why it will benefit their life and their marriage. Well, my first commandment, just like the first commandment in the Decalogue is, uh, mine is not, there are no other gods before me, sure. but, but it is, thou shalt be equals mm-hmm. and strive to be equal. And that's where we have to restore when you ask your question about what would, where, how does a marriage get back in shape? Well, the person who's been less than equal has simply got to stand up and say, we're going to be equal from now on. And by the way, that I think is why the one third of the people left this office and went back is because I was able to give them some legal rights that would explain to them that legally they are equal. And that you'd be surprised how people tell me that helped them go home and bring their marriage back up to an equal situation. So thou shalt be equals is clearly the number one commandment. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, David. And for all of our listeners, if you enjoy this conversation, take a screenshot, tag us, let us know what you feel about the, what you've learned from David and just how fruitful this has been for you. Share with a friend or family member who may need some encouragement. We are all always working through and just works in progress with our marriages. So uh, pick up the 10 commandments of marriage on Amazon and make sure to check it out. I'll have a link for you all in my show notes as well. And if you have any questions for us, let us know, David, do you have any social media where people could reach you? Well, I actually do have a website entitled 10, the 10 commandments of marriage, all spelled out, just 10 commandments of marriage, all spelled out, but I don't have a lot of news on it. I put everything I know in the book. book. Okay. That's perfect. Well, thank you so much, David. Thank you for being a part of the living easy podcast for all of you who are listening. If you enjoyed the conversation, um, please take a second, go in on iTunes and give a quick rating and review. We love to hear your feedback. And until then we will talk to you guys next Monday. We love you. Thank you so much for being here and we'll see you soon.